Hey, and welcome to another episode of Click Here to Apply. I'm Tony Shang, your host. Uh, before we get started, a plug. If you've enjoyed the show, um, leave a review. It really helps. And if you really enjoy the show, share it out. Tell your friends, tweet about it. I'd really appreciate it. Today, we have my friend, Eric Tornberg, who is the GP, General Partner at Village Global, a founder of On Deck, which helps founders connect with each other and ideas and get, get off the ground. Um, and he's the host of Venture Stories, a really popular tech podcast, which I've been on a few times, um, co-hosting, interviewing crypto people. And he's just an overall really swell guy. Uh, I met Eric at Multicoin Summit last year uh, in the spring, and, and we really hit it off. He ended up inviting me to an unconference later that year, which was a super awesome experience. And we looked at some crypto deals together too. He represents to me some of the best of Silicon Valley. Always happy to pay it forward, looking for new and interesting things to do, and thinking about ways to improve his life and the lives of others. This conversation is great because it goes over a few frameworks uh, and concepts that Eric has been working on. You can see many of them in his pinned tweet on his Twitter page. It's a really complimentary episode to Jill's, Jill Carlson's episode last week, and I learned a ton. I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, without further ado, uh, Eric Torenberg. Thanks for joining the show. So it's been a while since we caught up. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, things are things are going well. And it, it, I sort of feel in life that I've found the things that I want to do. And I'm going to do them over a long period of time. And I'm just at the beginning of doing them. Whoa, that's a good way to start. What, what are the things that you want to do? I think startups are one of the best ways uh, that one can change the world. Um, and, and certainly the way that... Uh, I, I can do so, and I want to invest uh, and incubate uh, startups. And, and the first sort of startups uh, I'm investing in incubating are startups that help me invest and incubate other startups, if, if that makes sense, uh, sort of at the meta oh, layer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So uh, Village Global is, is the, the biggest one, and that's a, a venture capital fund uh, that helps me invest in, in other startups. Uh, and we look at that as, as its own startup. It's got 10 people. It's a $100 million early stage venture fund. Uh, and then On Deck is a startup that helps other people uh, start or join their next companies. Uh, hmm. and, uh, has a few products uh, and communities that, that, that help people do that. Got it. And, and within Village, you have uh, an accelerator. Yes. Yes. We have uh, sort of our take on if Y Combinator started in 2019, uh, although it's it's not that dissimilar than if when Y Combinator started in 2005, uh, in that it's a small cohort based, uh, but then a personalized and customized uh, experience. Got it. What and what's a? It sounds like this was kind of a, a realization. Has this is this a shift from how you had think, thought about work before, or just the uh, natural evolution of what you were already interested in doing and already doing? <clears throat> yeah, I think. You know, I sort of thought to myself, you can um, you can work on trying to solve climate change or trying to cure cancer, or you can try to create an environment where <clears throat> you can increase the amount of people who are trying to uh, work on climate change or, or cure cancer or who have the resources to do so, the capital, the talent, the, the distribution. And uh, that was more interesting to me. And also, if I'm being uh, honest with myself, I don't think I'm the person to help solve climate change or cure cancer. <laughs> uh, and if, if you are, go do that. <laughs> but if not, perhaps uh, create tools and products and communities for, for others to, to go and do that. And I, 
I think I realized uh, that that was a, a skill set, creating networks and communities and products, um, and that would enable others. That seems like it comes from a place of um, like thinking pretty hard about what skills or interests you personally have and um, the best environment to apply them. And, and you, you've tweeted a lot about career stuff. Uh, like, I mean, not, not, not even necessarily limited to career stuff, but kind of mindsets to think about how to approach working, living, relationships, all that kind of stuff. Um, is this part of your like exploration into uh, your superpowers and, you know, the inverse of that things that you like, you don't want to do? Um, you know, how, how deliberate has that been? Yeah. Great question. So first off, it, Twitter is, um, is all exploration. <laughs> uh, rarely am I asserting something uh, that I know to be true, more uh, thinking out loud or, or thinking collectively with, with others about what, what may be true and, and what, what does it mean if it is true. Um, and, uh, you know, some people suffer the, the curse of they're so good at so many things that it's hard to focus. Uh, hmm. I didn't have that problem. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so, um, uh, building networks and, and communities, uh, sort of came, uh, came pretty naturally to me. Um, and then it was sort of a question, you know, and, and I, I like the, the Naval framing of what's easy for you to do, but hard for others. Um, mm. and so for, for me, those communities and networks, and then it was where to apply that skill. And the first company I started was, a uh, like HQ trivia for rap battles. It was called wrapped FM. And building a community of uh, angry freestyle rappers on the internet was not the best application of that skill set, although it was very, uh, very fun. And I will bring it back at some point. Um, yeah, it sounds like today may be the right period of time for an app like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hip hop hackathon, uh, late September, it's, it's coming back. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but helping entrepreneurs, uh, helping them get uh, access to uh, distribution, to talent, to capital, uh, that it was uh, a skill that that has more value and, and is more aligned with with my interests. Got it. And how did you dis- like? How did you find that? I think uh, you know something that's come up a lot on this podcast is folks that today really seem to have found their groove, um, but there really wasn't a concerted effort to get to where they are now. It was just a series of um, chronologically linked things, but not necessarily conceptually linked things, and they you know, through some form of evolution, figured out the best match of their talents with um, something that society wants. Was uh, It sounds like you, even in college, you were leaning on your uh, like natural inclination to build community. Um, but was that something in the back of your mind? And, and did it manifest over the years between now and then? Or um, has, it, has it become more clear that it's a, a skill that you can lean on um, more recently? It wasn't really affirmed growing up. Uh, you know, I was always sort of the scrappy kid who was getting getting in trouble in school and and starting different things and and uh, making trouble. Uh, and um, you know, w- w- during the Wrapped FM days, we had difficulty raising money. We we're talking to hundreds of investors, all no, no, no. Uh, but we'd go to the, some of the investors and then say, "Hey, if you're not going to invest in me, you should invest in in some of these other companies." And some of them ended up getting funding. And like, who does that? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, hey, this is sort of a superpower around connecting people, around understanding different people's incentives, 
Uh, and I think because growing up, the system really didn't work for me. Like I wasn't thriving in the, in the tournament style game that is school. I had to find huh. new games and I was like, you stri- dying to find new games. And so I, I really had a keen sense for like what people really valued, how to give them that value and not needing to expect anything in return to build long-term infinite uh, games with, with these people where, where there's trust built into that. Interesting. And you've, you've, uh, I think you've tweeted about making your own game. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, I think there, there's this uh, great quote someone tweeted. Um, Don't play the rat race unless you're the fastest rat. <laughs> uh. And most people are not the fastest rat. Uh, and l- life sets us up for, for tournament style games um, uh, where there's, you know, very clear few winners and, and, and everyone else loses. Uh, but if you play your own game, if you do something where only you could do it, then no one can compete with you. And even if you are a B student, which I've been my entire life, you will win by a long shot. That, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make games where I can do a B job and still win by a mile. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, uh, basketball was a game, uh, also another tournament game I, tr- I tried to play as a kid. And no matter how hard I tried, no matter how hard I tried to innovate, I couldn't make a new game there. But uh, but let's say Product Hunt is a game in trying to get distribution for products, trying to promote products. Um, you know, other games you could, you, like before Product Hunt, let's say I tried tweeting a- about it or tried, you know, saying to a newsletter, but I created a, or helped create a product and a platform that would help do it at scale that even if I did a, even if I, you know, ignored it for weeks or did a B job, it would sort of run itself. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I, I said, Hey, this is a really interesting superpower. Um, how can I create other products, communities, games that sort of compound on itself that are things that other people aren't doing and, uh, and give me an unfair advantage. And that isn't, uh, dependent on my execution. Got it. How does like um, how does just the average person explore that idea and figure out whether the game they're playing now doesn't serve them and you start to design a game that does? I think the first thing to think about is whether they're in a tournament style game. And if you're at yeah. Harvard, if you're at Goldman Sachs, if you're at I don't know. <laughs> if you're at Harvard, if you're at Goldman Sachs, I think those are tournament style games. Most things are, are tournament style games. I think what you want to um, think about is, am I taking something that's an asymmetric bet that if mm-hmm. um, it works out, I can win uh, 10x or 100x, uh, and if it uh, asymmetric upside while well, having uh, you know, only the 1x your downside. So most things are not. Uh, asymmetric especially if you're down a path um and if you are doing something that's a little weird but if it's right um the example i like to say is like crypto in in 2015 uh, i i like to use cal samani as an example uh, as a sort of someone who's you know 25 26 uh unemployed playing video games uh not having a lot going on uh but uh and took a big bet on crypto and if he's uh right uh, which he was to some extent would, would win big uh and if he was wrong all he wasted was his time. Um, so I would encourage people to to think of what what are asymmetric risks uh, out there that they could be taking. And I think, uh, and not just financially, but also reputationally. And I think those are the risks that people are most concerned to take, uh, the ones that make them look dumb. Interesting. Yeah, risk is a really strange topic that, uh, you know, most people don't 
think that much about risk or, or if they do think about risk, it's always in terms of risk as a threat, not as a tool. Um, I certainly struggle with that. My inclination is to think about money I could lose or a reputation I could lose and not really think about the relationship between uh, what positive outcomes might occur because of taking on more risk and, and that kind of risk ratio. And when I, I, I talked to Ed Moncato a couple episodes ago, um, he was a CEO of Blockfolio and was a former pro- poker pro. And there are a lot of poker people in the crypto space. And I can, I can see that that mindset lends itself really well to a volatile asset class like crypto, but also startups. You, you see that a lot. Um, and when, when you go and think about something like starting a company or doing something that's, I mean, to use your language outside of the tournament game, if you have access to the tournament game, most people would say, just continue playing it, right? Like being at Goldman or, or Harvard is nice. Uh, there's lots of good things about doing that. Um, but people are really scared because of the risk. Uh, I think you've mentioned before that you, you fi- feel like starting a company is one of the highest leverage things that you can do, and it's less risky than you would think, which isn't uh, totally intuitive to me, or, or it certainly wasn't a few years ago. Could you say more about that? Yeah, I, I think the what people um, sometimes fail to realize is that you, you, you want to look smart at the end of the day, but you don't have to look smart at every single way, uh, every single step on, on that journey. And, uh, also that people have very short attention span. Like I, I spent, you know, three and a half years of my life working on Skype or rap battles. And I thought that was my entire identity. And then when I joined product on after that, people basically forgot, <laughs> or no one, <laughs> no one cared, you know, yeah. uh, Reed Hoffman started this thing called social net that no one knows about. It's, it's this social network. I think it was a dating site that utterly failed. Mark Andreessen started Ning it was social network for dogs. It utterly failed. <laughs> Mark, Mark Pinkle started like four companies before Zynga. All of them failed. And uh, you're, you're, you you're tend to be known for like one thing anyways. Uh, mm. And so you have so many at-bats and people give you so so many chances. Um, you know, I think in the crypto world, I think Miles Snyder is a really interesting example of uh, of someone taking a really interesting risk. Uh, if, if EOS, let's say... Uh, it, it, exploded uh he's someone who was an analyst at multicoin and then left to you know really double down on the u.s ecosystem and if it exploded he would have looked like uh you know one of the biggest influencers in that space uh yeah it did not explode and i think he's basically in the same position he was before he before he started that that was an awesome asymmetric bet and some people people like me for taking that bet yeah um, he he was smart about the way he took it he and um i respect him more because of it um and uh, I think other things people don't realize about, uh, and I don't want to talk about the, you know, a lot of people are in debt, financial risk, that, that's one thing that's something you got to analyze for yourself. But the risk that what people don't realize about starting a company is that uh, it's not just the opportunity to uh, win big uh, financially, but also from a reputation perspective. Hmm. First, you sort of cross it off the list uh, because uh, you know, you are a founder, uh, and, and you have so much more credibility in Silicon Valley if you want to do other things, having been a founder. And people sort of like to dock non-founders in, in what I think is unfair ways. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, founders get all the credit um, and also all the network. Uh, you know, basically, when you're building a company, you're effectively building a like a cult or a movement or a religion in some sense that there's an origin story, and you hire employees, and those employees go out preaching uh, the, go- the gospel of your origin story of how 
great Tony is and Tony's building this great culture and everyone they interface with now knows who you are and if you're doing a good job wants to wants to meet you um and uh it's the you know there was uh Sahil um from Gumroad had this great tweet of there's so many founders who uh their companies who raised some money but their companies ended up failing but they use their paper returns to angel invest in their friends companies their, uh-huh. their friends who they built uh and those companies went on to be immensely successful and they became rich as a result um there's uh being a founder is is very de-risked in that if you uh build anything with meaningful traction people have a a lot of respect for you uh you build great networks in the process and it's a great education um so uh i'm highly for uh people people starting companies and i do think there's a bit of a propaganda from uh later stage companies about you know work to learn as if you know spending 2 years at google is 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 going to train you to help uh you know to run a startup better than running a startup will train you to run a startup yeah there, there's a i mean uh, funnily enough i actually I, and I, I don't think um well hmm, i think naval has said this to echo the sentiment that you've shared now but uh he's said things like when he hires he'll say you know when you work here it'll be like you're the startup founder of your own area. And once you figure out what you want to start, you leave, go start your company. And uh, that struck me as kind of strange because he is always talking about how you shouldn't work at somebody else's company. But now that I say it out loud, it, it does, uh, it, it is consistent. But I totally agree. There, there is a lot of hiring with the premise of come here, get some experience, and then you can go start your thing. And what you're saying is you don't even necessarily need to do that. If, if you have something that you want to start, then there's all of this leverage to gain even if the company doesn't work out? Yeah, sometimes you have to, uh, or I'm not saying that it's, it, you know, don't join a company. I'm saying that if you want to start something, uh, you feel ready to, don't feel like you have to join a company in order to start. Right. You can do it for now. Sometimes you just need to, what I call, get in the game. Uh, you know, get sort of in the ecosystem of interesting people and ideas um, and uh, and learn. And so my, my transition, you know, I certainly couldn't have started uh, on deck or Village Global without joining Product Hunt uh, as the first employee mm. and founding. You're uh, just coming from from Rapt FM, uh, but Product Hunt was was sort of because it was founding team and because of the type of company I was at, it was sort of a s- sprint in terms of building you know network and building community and, and uh, build, uh, uh, community abilities and there was so much to to learn there that uh, that it was worth it. But 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 it's certainly a trade off. Can you say more about your experience there? Um, I, I, I only, all I know is that you were the first employee there. Um, what, what about that experience set you up to do all of the cool things you're doing now? Yeah. Part of it was, was, and I only realized this in retrospect, but product hunt was clearly an asset. I, I was the same person who I was before joining product hunt and after joining product hunt. And I'd been in Silicon Valley for a couple of years running, you know, wrapped FM and I, I was not getting much attention to, hmm. to put it lightly. <laughs> uh, you know, and then with product hunt, all of a sudden, uh, could get access to you know virtually any any startup founder and and lots of investors and was was automatically in the flow and is it I sort of asked myself why is this happening I'm still the same person I haven't developed any new skills but I now had this asset and this asset was to give people traffic uh, and there are, you know a few assets that startup founders really care about right they care about traffic they care about uh, you know customers they care about hiring and they care about raising money and so. Um, Joining Product Hunt initially, I, I, I was just uh, joining to help out while I figured out what my next thing was because uh, it was a side project. 
but within six months it had you know gotten into Y Combinator and then raised money for Andreessen. And I said, "Hey, this looks like a this looks like a rocket ship." I was uh, I was the first person helping Ryan, starting with you know working my way from customer support to then uh, running and building out the the community team, uh, and then you know a variety of other uh, BD um, you know uh, projects. But Ryan was really great about uh, including the entire founding team on on what was going on with the with the company. So it was sort of a uh, you know, that six months to a year, and then I, I stayed for a bit over two years was sort of a very quick education in what it was like to be part of a really growing company. Oh, so you, you joined before it was uh, like the, a, a fully-fledged company, pre-YC, pre- I, I joined pre-YC. Uh, I'm not sure if when it had incorporated, but um, yeah, I joined before it looked like it was going to take off. That's so interesting. Yes. I, one thing I've observed about you is you seem um, more quick to... Uh, just get started working on something with different people than other people I've met. You're, um, you seem like you have, uh, first of all, like boundless energy and uh, ability, <laughs> which is which I really admire. Um, but also, you're just really open minded and, and are down to commit time to to trying new things. Uh, did this fall in that category, or was this more of a like this looks like an early stage company that I could get onto? Yeah, this this seemed like an opportunity that. Was uh, had asymmetric risk and the downside mm. was capped because right. uh, e- uh, even if you know it totally flopped or never became anything, every day all I was doing was talking to startup founders. I was I was building my network. I was getting paid to to build my, my network. I, I, Ryan is someone who I you know was is wasn't is a friend and I was learning a lot from. And worse came to worse, uh, I would you know work there three months, six months, and then and then find my next thing with a with a radically increased. Um, network, and that was sort of my ticket for for getting into into the game, so to speak, or getting into the flow of, of interesting things. Um, and there's only there's only a few companies or a few types of companies where you could, you know, as soon as you join it, you're now part of the part of the flow. And I, I hope that Village and On Deck uh, are, are becoming them. So I um uh one one experience that I really treasure as I think about the last couple of years. Uh, was the rise retreat that you organized and invited me to, which I'm, I'm really grateful for. And that, that's, um, well, first, do, do you want to, is this, uh, do, do you want to introduce the, the rise, yeah. rise retreat and program? Sure. So the, the rise retreat is, uh, a retreat, uh, that me and a few friends, uh, put on, um, uh, once or twice a year that is basically a community of people that we've identified that we would like to be friends or potentially be friends with for uh, for 70 years uh and that doesn't mean that we only take people who are going to be alive for all of those 70 years <laughs> uh, it just uh, it's people we really want to uh commit to um and that came from uh a desire for me to uh better prioritize you know i have sort of my inner circle my inner circle of five people but better prioritize this sort of middle you know circle of like my top 50 favorite people um that i've sort of collected throughout the throughout the years and uh, introduce them to each other and build community uh, around them. Um, punchline. That's it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and it was it was really such a special event and opened my eyes to the possibility of really nurturing that kind of community. I, I ended up walking away from that weekend with a, a bunch of new friends that I still stay in touch with today. Um, and you know, f- prior to that, I I I I think I understood the importance of being part of the game or some 
your professional community. Uh, and I listen to people talking about how important networking is and finding lots of interesting people that you might want to work with, but didn't really prioritize it. And it sounds like you knew from an early period of your career that this was important. Um, what did, how did you know that that mattered? Was it just uh, your experience at Wrapped FM feeling kind of the opposite of that, like not getting enough attention, having a hard time fundraising? Or did, have you always kind of perceived network and these kind of intangible assets as important things to accumulate? I think if you look at the people who run Silicon Valley, like uh, Mark Andreessen, Reid Hoffman, Sam Altman, uh, Peter Thiel, just to, to name a few, I think they're all masters at they're all, they're all masters at convening uh, and, and convening and bridging sort of, you know, capital, they can deal with sort of LPs and, and, and Wall Street and, and finance uh, with, with talent, with, with uh, engineers uh, and, and designers, uh, and then with opportunity. They, they have unique ideas or can recognize unique ideas. And um, it takes uh, a network and it takes being respected uh, among that network. I, I think that's a mistake some people make where they they have a good network, but what they need to improve is actually what their network thinks of them. Huh. Um, and um, because uh, you know, it used to be that you could be a router and you could have these proprietary networks and uh, the only way people would do uh, could work with each other is, is through you, through sort of an agent. But today in sort of a, a world where network asymmetry becomes less common because everyone's, you know, could be recognized easier on Twitter, et cetera. Uh, you have to bring something to the t- table beyond being a router. Uh, I think that's a lesson, lesson I had to learn or else you, you'll get boxed out or you won't be, you won't be as valued. Right. Interesting. That didn't answer your question. What? <laughs> I don't think I answered your question. Well, I, it, I, it, I it is curious. I, I think you, you, there was, you had, you had spoken about reputation a lot, uh, in a prior question. And what struck me is that, um, you framed it as there are these kind of two currencies, even you have reputation and you have money and money is really easy to understand reputation. You can kind of understand too, but, um, from listening to you talk about the, you know, so some people focus too much on network and not enough on what people think about them. That, that makes me think about reputation. And, uh, I think there, there's some conventional wisdom out there that says, you know, don't care what other people think, just like do your thing. And, um, you'll be rewarded. And I think what I'm hearing you say is, well, you should you should care at least what the right people think because it'll have a material impact on your opportunities and your performance. Yeah. I, you know, there, there's reputational risk that you don't want to take and that's ethical <laughs> reputation risk. I think you more want to ask for permission than forgiveness when it's when it's with people who, who are really important to you. Uh, so yeah, definitely, uh, you know, uh, develop a reputation of, of consistency and high integrity and, and don't risk that. Uh, the thing I, I think that is worth risking is, um, uh, you know, people thinking your idea is silly or dumb or just a toy and uh-huh. sort of a long history uh, 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 or your mom not getting what you're doing or your friends at college or you're, you know, thinking you're a bum or something, um, uh, or thinking you, you, you've gone weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, reputation is how, uh, opportunities, uh, flow and and uh, the you want to optimize for long term reputation, so you're okay taking a short term reputation hit. again, not on your integrity, but on uh, on hey that person just doing something kind of weird right now. And and the the, the people you really want respect from will, will often respect the, the the weird things. Um, the you know a term I like to think a lot about in thinking about optimizing your career is building a, a personal moat. 
Hmm. Um, so if you think about a, a personal moat, it's, it's uh, something that's hard to learn, hard to do, you know, rare, valuable skill, something that's really legible, uh, that people can understand it, uh, and something that compounds uh, over time. Hmm. Uh, and so a few examples I like to bring up are, are Elad Gill. Uh, he's an investor in, I think, something like 19 unicorns. Uh, that's hard to this do. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, very uh, important. People value that skill. Uh, it takes like a decade to do, which means high, high barrier to entry. Uh, it's immediately legible. Uh, you can't take. He could sleep for five years, be in a coma, and still be you know the best angel investor of all time, or, or one, certainly one of them. Um, and it it cements his reputation as someone you know when people are looking to raise money from angel investors, he's the first person they think of, which compounds his ability to you know invest in the best startups and it's it forms a loop um, yeah in so, that case success begets success yes yes the the other two examples i like to bring up one is tyler cowan uh this encyclopedic uh, economist who spent decades uh you know writing and reading every day uh and makes it legible through his 18 books his podcast his blog and now he's leveraging all the social capital he's created uh the reputation he's built uh, with really important people to branch out and start uh, start his own fund effectively. Oh, or, or, wait. Or oh, really? Wow. Yeah, Emergent Ventures. Cool. Tyler's amazing. He's so prolific. Yeah. I think it, it, uh, it, it is, do you, is personal, mo- like, um, is like a natural inclination to do that thing part of your conception of personal moat? Because when I look yeah, at Tyler, it, it, like this guy, he's a, he, he, there's I, I can't imagine him waking up and like struggling to do the reading and writing that he does. It just seems like it's part of him. Yeah, it, it, your personal moat is something that's unique to you, something that is easy for you, hard for others, mm-hmm. uh, only you can do, and gets stronger. Uh, you know, works for you in your sleep and gets stronger over time. And it can be a you know combination of, of skills like like Tim Ferriss for example he's, he's built this you know huge following through unique content of over a decade of writing and his you know unique skill set of uh, you know sort of meta learning and uh, experimentation uh, and then being sort of uh, you know, scrap who else is going to become world class in Argentinian tango or you know uh, like jujitsu or whatever what like you couldn't clone Tim Ferriss only he could do uh, what he does. And that's why, uh, you know, his brand is so, you know, connects with people and, and why, why he's built his personal moat. Yeah. How do you, um, it's already like, how do I put this? Myself and many of my peers have gone through periods in their career where they are somewhere and they're like, you know, this, this probably isn't it. And they start thinking about you know, what, what, what is it? Like, what, what should I be doing? And it's very challenging to figure out even the first part of this, which is like what, what, what I like to do. And then you, once you figure that out, you have to figure out, you know, am I good at it? Will somebody pay me for it? And now with the personal moat framing, which I absolutely love, it's, um, is it actually you know, easy for me and hard for others, which requires some understanding of what's hard for others. And, uh, now, and also, you know, does it compound how it's, um, you know, th- these kind of things strike me as, when you have early signal or are already doing some of these things and have good reason to believe that you're onto finding your personal mode or figuring out the intersection of those three things, then it's easier to describe. But for a lot of people who, who haven't quite figured that out yet, what do you recommend they do? Like, where do you start? The, when I was younger, I spent my whole childhood 
playing basketball. Basically, that was my identity. That's what I was really passionate about. And to put it lightly, that was not my personal moat. <laughs> that was not easy for me to do uh, and and hard for others. In fact, it was the opposite. Oh man, it's it's, <laughs> it, it's video games for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, maybe you grew up in the wrong era. Like if you maybe if you were growing up today, maybe you'd be an esports pro. That's um, true. Or, or yeah, the um, but I I think especially young people don't realize is that uh, because they, they've only been able to be passionate about you know a couple things is that they can if they ex- are exposed to enough they can take the same passion and redirect it to things that they are either naturally better at or are more naturally sought mm. out um, by, by by others and by the market and and so I think it's a combination of 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 trying things uh, and, and seeing what kind of feedback uh, you get uh, and it, and it takes a while like I remember in in college um, realizing that like the thing I told myself was was I don't know what I'm the best at but whatever I'm the best at I'm the shit at it like I'm really good at it. like I can't really nail it down some like combination of of relationship oriented skills and community building but uh, but it's really valuable and some people have, have seen it and so it's a combination of trying a bunch of things and really asking for, for feedback and then if you notice something that's easy for you and hard for others and people value it doubling down interesting how how can you ask for that feedback if you're not already getting it i remember in 2013 uh so i'm like 24 at this point i sent an email to maybe a hundred people i knew saying hey what am i really good at oh my god and what am i not what an eric thing to do (laughs) that's incredible (laughs) yeah more people should do that (laughs) and and did the results surprise you did you change your behavior from them what i mean what did they say they said some version of what, what I'm saying now, G- good with people, can relate to all different types of people, good at building communities, good at understanding systems, uh, good at being persistent, being scrappy, uh, entrepreneurial. Mm. Uh, and at the time I was, you know, interviewing for um, being a consultant, you know, I was a major in economics and I was, you know, taking case in point, case, uh, oh, you know, boy. case studies for, yeah, to join Bain or whatever. And I said, fuck this, like, this <laughs> it's not what I- not what I'm best at. It's not what I enjoy. Uh, I mean, some people are best at that. They should go do. They should go do it if 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 they yeah, want. I was to. sick at um, case in point. That was my jam. <laughs> I bet. Um, and so, part of being able to double down on on what you're really meant to do or uh, what you're really great at is avoiding the things you're you're good at uh, and that other people really value, but but not the best at or, or don't enjoy. Mm. Uh, and so, it's important what you what you say no to. That's so interesting. And I don't I don't pick it up now. Unless, unless I'm going to do it for like 20 years. Like yeah. I know that's from Steve Martin. So good. You can't get ignored. And I picked my like five things. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm all in. That's awesome. When, when you're, um, legibility is a concept that I think you first introduced me to, and I didn't like the word, but now I've come around to it. I think legibility is a really good word to describe what it is trying to describe. And here I'm just imagining you're in, college right and you've gotten all this feedback that says you're good at these things but you're not eric tornberg like master community builder investor like people bringer together known well in silicon valley um you're eric tornberg college student how do you how do you start to build up like legibility so that that moat that you know you can build um starts to take shape i was talking to someone yesterday who's looking to build uh to start a venture firm and uh, he says, you know, I have this great network of people who are about to start companies. 
and I say, I said, you, you need to have some way to prove it. Uh, hmm. One great way to prove you, you have a net, network of people about to start companies is to have invested in, in people who, who, who started companies yeah. uh, or have commitments for those folks that they'll, they'll, they'll let you in. So a lot of people you know, talk about having these soft skills but don't have ways to prove it um, or, or don't have proof points. And so when you're just starting out, like for communities, yeah, I didn't have anything until, until product hunt. And then I said, oh, to myself, oh, some people might say it's a, it's a fluke. You need to have, need to have more. Uh, one interesting thing about le- example of legibility is, is uh, the growth of OnDeck. OnDeck, you know, company helps people find or uh, start their next thing. And for a while, it had just been this sort of, um, you know, ongoing sort of ambient uh, event seri- uh, series, but didn't have a sort of legibility to, to, to its value. It wasn't easy to explain to other people, you know, what had come out of it. We weren't tracking it. Um, and so we transformed it into a fellowship that's going to happen three times a year. Uh, and we could say, hey, now we have, you know, thousands of applications, you know, 100 people in the, in the first cohort. Uh, and that's going to compound over time that'll be at alumni. What, what is YC done? They've created an amazing, uh, you know, uh, sort of feat of legibility in that uh, it's easy to explain what it is. It's easy to explain its value. Everyone has the same shared experience, same story, uh, same story can communicate uh, to to people in their uh, tribe easier, plus uh, convince and recruit people externally to join. Um, and it, 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 legibility is, is really a gift because it allows other people to explain to other, their parents even, everyone they care about, why they're doing in ways that give them social approval. Um, and so that, that's sort of more brand portion. Is, is the short answer then, like you just have to do it? Do the work. You have you have to do the work, and you have to have uh, proof points that show that you've done the work. You have, right. you have to have proof of work. Yes. Yeah. You need proof of. Yeah. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And so, if it's if it's community building, you you have, hey, where's your community? Uh, if it's yes. uh, network, hey, uh, you know, what's the network you built? It, it, uh, can I go? Can I go look at it on the internet? Can I go uh, find it? Uh, uh, can I? Oh, can I look at your angels and see what you've invested yeah. in? Uh, if it's your great freestyle rapper, where's your two minute clip where I can easily see, oh, this person's amazing. And I could, and I could share it in a scalable way. Right. I, I, that was a big breakthrough for me. It's hard. Like, but I think with, with product, um, I, I, most of my job has been in product management. And one thing that is, I hear from a lot of folks trying to break in is it's very hard to get in because everybody needs previous product experience. And one hack around that, it's actually not super effective, but one way to get around that is to, um, create side projects and and treat them as if they were product roles. So you really have to go and be resourceful and figure out how to add those things to your resume that people can look up on the internet and say, oh yeah, like that's that's a reasonable thing that somebody would build. And then with investing, yeah. like I the book that I really appreciated that really helped me was reading Jason's uh, book Angel. And he's just like, it's pretty simple. Just you just just do it. <laughs> you know, like Go earmark some some small amount of money and start angel investing. And you know, to, I don't know what his takeaways there, but for me, the takeaways were: you'll either realize you're not good at it and stop doing it, or that you don't enjoy it and stop doing it, um, or it'll it'll be great, and then you'll you'll have you'll already be the thing that you're reading a book to try to become. I think I think people are scared to to do that sometimes, and and maybe it has to do with what you were saying about risk. Like maybe people don't. Uh, naturally feel like these are asymmetric um, efforts. Yeah, I, I, it's great for people to get sales experience early on. Uh, and sales experience can look like literally selling something 
or it, it's basically experience that uh, that forces them to deal with rejection uh, and or forces them to uh, uh, um, either deal with rejection or look weird. And for that, for me, that was freestyle rap. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, when I did it, I was pretty bad at it when I first started. And so people would sort of look at me funny or even when I told them I did it. And it, it helped me build the skill of, one, if I could get comfortable freestyle rapping, I get comfortable pitching, I get comfortable selling, and I can. Uh, and two, if people, if I, if people were, you know, were sort of looking at me weird, it trained myself to not care. Um, mm. And that's a pretty, that's a thing we have to train ourselves to do. Yeah, it, it, it so important is that that knowledge that unless you do something egregious, n- nobody cares when you don't do something amazing. Yep. It, it, it's the right balance. Um, yeah, it's the right the right balance. Going back to the you know the ethics integrity, don't don't compromise that at all. Um, even for sh- short term loss because it have long term gain. But then um, you know don't care what the wrong people think about you. You know, um, and the you know for you, I think I think it's interesting. I, I haven't talked to you, you about your career in, in a bit, but I see you as someone who has uh, who's sort of an experienced generalist. Uh, you know, across different companies, different spaces. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think maybe you have the problem where you're, you're good at lots of, lots of different types of stuff, but I, I feel like you really come into your own in the last, you know, year or two plus as a, as a writer, thinker, um, and convener in the, in the crypto space. And I could see you doubling down as some sort of Ben Thompson meets, uh, Josh Koppelman or Jason Calacanis, uh, in crypto, which, you know, becomes the next internet could leave you one of the most influential people in the space yeah maybe how does that resonate <laughs> that would be nice <laughs> I, yeah i i definitely think um i agree that the last two years have been really helpful and if nothing else making me realize what my personal moat could be and um i fell into the trap of well you know i started off privileged and um kind of burdened in that my parents set me up to play the grand tournament. You know, I did good in high school. I was probably like kind of the opposite student of you. I did, did great on tests, did great on school, went to good school, went to McKinsey after college. Um, just I had Jill Carlson on, uh, yesterday and she kind of have a similar track, Harvard and then Goldman. And when you're there, like, it's great, right? It's like ridiculous to complain about being in a position to have, um, access to those kind of opportunities, but you're also much less likely to try other things. So I, I felt very out of touch with what I, what, you know, what you're describing, you know, what, what you're, what you're good at that other people think is hard and that you naturally want to do and compounds because consulting is the, the most non-compounding work you can do. You just like get, do throwaway work for people that don't necessarily even want your work. And so then I, I got into the trap of, um, not not necessarily chasing brands, but kind of chasing uh, achievements because I thought I perceived them as um, you know tickets into some kind of community that I wanted to be a part of, and and I want to talk about something you've said before about not chasing brands because um, I think it's related, and, and also you mentioned you know th- this kind of founder worship thing, and so I, I felt like I needed to be a founder before I could really participate in Silicon Valley, and so I started a company that I probably shouldn't have started, and you know really kind of glorified startup lifestyle and founder lifestyle and stuff like that. And um, yeah, over the last two years, it's been way more about the the day-to-day work and uh, the outcome of that work rather than what do, what is, what's the label that I can put on this? What's, 
how are people going to perceive me differently? Um, and that's you know, maybe ironically, or just maybe, uh, you know, unintuitively led to way better results on that side too. People are, um, I think like, you, you know, it's two things you working authentically. People can kind of see that. And then also by doing the things that you're actually naturally good at, people appreciate your work and that leads to all the benefits you wanted before, or you're chasing brands and doing things just for the sake of, um, a label. Yeah. I think there's a few things to unpack there. One is I sort of different, uh, differentiate between a, something like a brand and a bridge. I, mm. I think a brand, something like Harvard, something like Goldman Sachs, uh, I, I think these brands will have less power over time. Information asymmetry increases. Uh, your Harvard degree is only worth the intrinsic value of the skills, networks, and knowledge that you develop there. Yeah. Uh, which isn't that much <laughs> relative <laughs> to what, what, what you're going to do for, for much cheaper, I think. Yep. Um, and uh, so a brand is something that I think like Goldman Sachs, I think you have just as much or close to as much of uh, brand credibility, you know, from getting in as you do from finishing. Um, or, or, like most of it uh, comes from, you know, as credentialing and so that you were that Goldman Sachs selected you uh, rather than, hey, you were there for, for one year and did your tour of duty and, and we're done. Um, now, there there is value to finishing, whereas opposed to uh, I call it a brand and it differentiates that relative to something like being Elon Musk's chief of staff. Mm. It's impressive that he elected you, but if he, um, if you do two years for him, uh, he, you know, he's then going to help you, uh, start your next company or I mean, you, like being an Elon Musk's good graces is a tremendous opportunity. Whereas being, you know, one of, you know, many thousands or tens of thousands of people who've gone through you know, Goldman Sachs, like standard, you know, uh, two year thing, it is less less valuable, uh, and so I'm curious why more people don't uh, get one brand on on uh, signature brand and then drop out, yeah, or, or then quit shortly after yeah, to show that they could. May, yeah, maybe that was your tweet that that really stuck with me. Yeah. The idea that you know in the future people should try to get their kids into Harvard and then have them drop out in like a quarter, or or just don't pay. Uh, yeah, God, you like. Uh, because the networks are really valuable. It's, it's not the classes. And you, but you, uh, and so uh, get in, drop out, uh, but live there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, keep uh, hanging out there, keep build, build those friendships and you know, either start a company or, you know, work or, yeah, fine. Create your own learning path. That's so interesting. Huh. I, I, I want to talk more about what you said about skills too. That the uh, the brands deteriorate to the the marginal value of the skills. Do you think do you think that's going to happen? Like, or, or I guess maybe a more tangible question. You know, are there situations? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious in the, the like the the theoretical discussion of like, do, do you think that's happening, and do you think it will happen? And then I'm also interested in the practical question that is, you know, if you're a person today trying to figure out whether to get a credential or go and try to acquire like. To spend the same amount of time and get more skills. Um, what do you do? But let's start with the theoretical one. Do you, do you feel like that 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 brand value is starting to deteriorate? Deteriorate. I, I do. Um, well, I think one. There's been this acknowledgement, at least in universities, that it it, it is widely. It's less about the education, more about the signal. Hmm. Uh, I think it's a big step that we've moved to, to that. Trans- like we all sort of understand that intuitively. Uh, and I think it's getting easier uh, for, to create signals in other ways. Because what does Harvard and Goldman Sachs show? It shows that you're smart and that you're capable. Uh, and if you're uh, a designer, for example, 
you can create a website that has your entire portfolio, you know, you, your own projects. If you're uh, a BD person, you, you're, if you're a scrappy, like entrepreneurial uh, type, you, you can create mini portfolios. You can create your own signal that in some ways can speak uh, more to your, uh, to your, you know, uh, competence than, than, than a Harvard or, or Goldman Sachs type thing. So it's less that, or it's getting less valuable because other things are getting easier or it's easier to create your own credential. Interesting, right. And that could be a company or that could be like to your point just now, it could be some kind of other legible asset that shows that you can do something. Yeah. Yeah. People's skills are getting more and more legible or it's easier to make them. Well, so um, you, you've tweeted before about building an asset without starting a company. And we, we touched on a little bit with the community stuff, but do you have more to say about that? I, I, I don't think it's, I think it's something that's really um, under, under invested in. And, and actually Jill and I talked about Mary Meeker's report as an example of this. She was in finance and then in venture and all the while for how long has it been now? 14 years. Uh, she's put out this report. <clears throat> that's, that's her own. And yeah, many would say that's, um, had you know huge compounding gains for her career. Oh, hundred percent. And imagine if she had just done it like every few years or every few months, um, it wouldn't be as legible. But hey, here's you know a data like yeah, do something and do it you know continuously over you know decades uh, and make it easy for people to to see. It. Yeah, uh, that, that that's super legible. Um, the what was your question again? Well, so, so oh. yeah, how, how can people, um, well, maybe speak a little bit about the importance of building an asset and how can people you know, put, put that in a pl- into play in their, in their lives? So when I was talking about building a company earlier, uh, I was talking to people who want to build a company, uh, uh, but who don't think that they uh, can. Hmm. Um, you, not everyone wants to build a company. Uh, uh, I don't want to be, you know, CEO of a venture back startup right now. That that's not best use of my talents or or interests. Um, and it's it's stressful. It's hard. Uh, so I was talking to people who want to do it. Uh, some people just want to be venture capitalists or just want to be product managers or want to be writers. No need to start a company if if, if you want to do that. Um, well, I do think uh, the people we admire most, at least in Silicon Valley, are and people who have most resources are people who've, you know, uh, started and scaled billion dollar companies. Lots of other people, uh, have, have, uh, value, uh, as well. And so the, um, thing that I would think about, um, I, I can mostly talk about in the context of, of being a, a venture capitalist, mm-hmm. uh, is, um, if you aren't going to build a company, you're going to want, yeah, have a specific skill, a knowledge base or asset that that gives you a moat. So if you look at uh, Laura Deming uh, from Longevity Fund, uh, she I think had the first uh, fund focused on longevity and sort of established herself as an expert in the field before it was big. Uh, so similar to what we were talking about with you know, Palsamani and others right. before crypto really took off. Uh, and there are disproportionate advantages to being early in things. I mean, the more risk you're willing to take, the more, more you're early. And that that relates to uh, you know, being an expert in the space, starting a company and being early at a company, uh, you know, founders get orders of magnitude more equity or, or even early employees do, um, than, than later employees. Uh, and then also actually, I like what I call putting people in business. So if you find someone who doesn't have a Silicon Valley network, uh, but is really talented and you're the first person to give them that network before others do and really believe in them, they're going to remember you forever. Mm. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm always looking for, for those opportunities. Um, but going back to, to building a moat, uh, you need to become valuable. You need to become necessary to a transaction. You need to become 
someone that when people say, "Hey, uh, we're you know I'm building this type of company. I need uh, I you know I need Tony," uh, and that could be because you have some unique expertise. You are you know the world class uh, expert in not just crypto but in understanding privacy, and you've written you've made it legible and. And that's that's where your focus, or you, you, that's vertical expertise. It could be some functional expertise. You the you know you've thought and written all about go to market. That's where you've hung uh, you know hung your hat or pricing, um, or it could be because you have uh, some some assets, some proprietary network, and that could be hey you've built the premier conference uh, in the space, or you built the the community for for young people who are looking for co founders. Uh, it, it'd be something that sort of uh, you know just having a thing. Uh, Starting a company, you're writing a book, you know, hosting a speaker series, things that grow independently of your initial effort and automatically upgrade your knowledge and network while you sleep. It seems like, um, absolutely. Uh, something that just struck me now as you were speaking is, um, sounds like a lot of work, and it sounds yeah. like uh, never-ending work. You know, like you're you're constantly needing to be legibly the best, or the, at least the best locally. At the thing that you do, and that I was thinking back to how my my um, how I thought about work you know, as a kid, and you see, most parents they go into this a similar type of job every day, and they don't. My 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 parents actually did do a lot of extracurricular learning. They were both engineers, and that had an influence on me. But mostly, you think of it as you you go to school, you learn some stuff, you get a job, and you do that job for your career. And um, you get increasingly more senior, but the nature of it mostly stays the same. You don't, and, and people get really you know, frustrated or mad even when uh, industries change and you have to change jobs or learn things new. And um, what seems intuitive and, and just you know, unquestionably true today is that process of reinventing yourself or at least just improving yourself, constantly looking for a match between what you do and what the market can bear. Um, it's just something that you have to do now. It's kind of, it's pretty daunting. In, in some ways it's daunting, but I, I have ways in which it will be freeing. Uh, if you, if you build one asset, you will never have to go to a networking event in your life. Okay. <laughs> you will never have to take a talk with, with uh, cold or, or with someone you don't want to. Um, and um, it, in fact, it, it, it could, it could save you time. So if you look at things like, you know, uh, 20 minute VC is a podcast started by this, uh, at the time he was like 18 or 19, uh, Harry Stebbings, uh, he's now, you know, thousands of episodes in, uh, has built this incredible network of, of venture capitalists all, all in London. Um, uh, another example is Saster Annual, uh, or, or just Saster in general, the premier conference, uh, and, you know, content platform and community for people in SaaS, you know, assets could be 20 minute VC for, for X, take, yeah. take any functional area, take any vertical, Build the premier podcast, build the premier blog, blog community event, um, and never go to any happy hour mixer meetup except for the ones you host. Uh, never take any any coffee meetings. Uh, it will be so uh, so freeing to have that focus and to know, hey, you've got a really valuable valuable network that that compounds on itself. You mm-hmm. have to spend uh, less time because you know uh, when you. Uh, grow it. You can then h- hire you know people under you, or, or have people uh, you know helping run what we used to do, uh, and it continues to grow. And, and you're we were talking about earlier of the the founder sort of cult story that grows too. And, and this, these aren't you know necessarily companies in the same way, but they still have those same origin stories. Yeah, absolutely. And even kind of philosophically, one mindset shift that's really helped me in my life is realizing that 
Um, this is going to sound weird, but just realizing that you can die at any time. Like an airplane could crash on my house and I would just die. And what can you do? You know? So there's like it, it, uh, that kind of randomness is, is pretty freeing. Like anything could happen. The, the things that you're really attached to about the status quo, um, aren't that secure to begin with. And then you can start to embrace the randomness of life and, and the constant change. And then you, you, it actually becomes a positive because you realize, okay, well, I've actually thrived or at least survived in many environment shifts that, and if you, um, you know, maybe this is related in a seem to lab where it's like, if you're very fragile and you expect things to be status quo the entire time, when something changes, you really break. But if you're um, robust, then you can adapt to it and change your behavior, figure out ways for you to be successful in, in those new environments. And if you're anti-fragile, you actually thrive because you're more uh, experienced, more equipped, more more prepared to um, figure out in this new environment, how can you be the best and actually like, you know, experience the most joy. It, it The mindset is pretty scary, but it feels much more true. Like it feels more aligned with how reality is. And I think, that, you know, if nothing else, um, protecting people from the like, kind of like the earth shattering fragility of being really attached to the status quo and then having that, that snatched away from you is uh, a really good thing. Yeah, and is this, uh, you know, there's this mental model where instead of, uh, you know, people say don't, it's not black or white, it's gray, but actually in some, in some cases it's, it's black and white. Like it's things that are, that are opposite, but are both true. And, and for this, you know, life is short. So, you know, do run to the things that really matter. Um, but also life is really long and so, or hopefully, and so, (laughs) you know, before, before you're 30, before, before you're 35, uh, you could take as much sort of reputational risk or the right kind of reputational risk, uh, as, as you want. And I think the biggest risk actually is being too stagnant is, is people is having a very safe career and people say, Oh, you, you never really took a big swing or you're, you're how entrepreneurial are you? How sort of have you been in the fire? Uh, and you could, you could take, you know, five, 10, you know, at bats before you're, before you're 30. And even if they all don't work, you'll, you'll have something impressive, uh, to show for it at, at least rep- reputationally. Um, and so, um, and I think, yeah, maybe there's that balance of, you want to show uh, competence, and then you also want to show um, entrepreneurialism. Um, and so, having you know maybe one thing that that shows uh, you know capability and competence, and that you could finish something, uh, but then also uh, that you can you know go out on a limb and, and take a big uh, take a big opportunity. Aside from what you're working on right now, are there other risky bets you're taking on right now? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I would say a couple. One risky bet I'm taking on is I would like to be a world-class freestyle rapper. And I'm spending a lot of time thinking about how to do that. Interesting. And you're, you're already very good. What does world-class yeah, mean? Okay. <laughs> very okay. <laughs> <laughs> with me, uh, like that people look at it and they're like, oh my God, how did he do okay. it? Like he's one of the best. Then I can show you a two-minute clip. And people who are pros would be like, wow, that's really good. And if I don't achieve it, I will have wasted hundreds of hours, maybe you know, thousands perhaps. And I uh, will have looked dumb perhaps. Regardless, I will have looked, looked dumb or silly or inappropriate to, um, to, to some people. Um, but 
mean, for that one, it's sort of that's a labor of love. So the risk is sort of its own reward. And that, and I like to do things also where not only did I do I just lose my time, but at least or uh, at least I enjoyed it along the way. Uh, and so freestyle is one that's more of a fun thing, um, as in I don't expect that to you know put money in my bank, but uh, it will make me proud uh, because I'm I'm very inspired by the concept of agency, by the concept that we could change our circumstances. And me particularly that the concept I could take something that I had no business doing that people tell me I shouldn't be doing uh, and that I have no skills, natural skills to and become world class at it through sheer uh, effort and ingenuity uh, and just stick to itiveness over over decades. That, that's one bet I have. Let's, how, how do you let's check back? How, how do you square? Ideas. How do you square that with um, remote, remote thinking? Like, um, you know, what, part of how I interpret your prior comments about the moat is particularly around basketball is like uh you know if you're not naturally good at it then you you'll never become world class at it maybe that's like oversimplifying but um i think what i'm hearing you say maybe it's just humbleness is uh that you're not naturally good at freestyle rapping no no no. it's not humility it is true the uh what i would differentiate and we're in the weeds here which is cool is basketball is a tournament style game and freestyle rap is not freestyle rap uh, is a has no people aren't very systematic about how they get better at freestyling. Uh, and I am. <laughs> and so, uh, I think I, I could develop an unfair advantage if I spend enough time that would outweigh my lack of natural skills. And there are some things that, uh, natural skills are barriers. Like if you're not tall or strong or athletic in basketball, I don't care how much time you spend, you're, you're probably not going to be that great. Whereas for freestyle, um, there really isn't a way that people know how to get better other than just by doing mm. it. Um, and uh, maybe sheer ingenuity and, and practice can outweigh uh, lack of natural got skills. It. So you've got, you're working on like secret methods and techniques to, <laughs> to, to, to take you, yeah. take you across the edge. Yeah. Interesting. If I tell you, I'd have to. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll check back in once uh, you're uh, you've won some, some yeah. world records. Yeah, on the podcast and, and wrap on the podcast. I, um, I think another one, um, here's, here's what a great example, uh, the ISA space, income share agreement space right now. Uh, it looks weird. Um, it looks very controversial. Um, and yeah. And basically if you're looking for things that have asymmetric bets, you want to find things that are so boring that other people won't touch them or so weird or controversial that, that other people, uh, won't touch them. Uh, it's sort of, I think ISAs are secret hidden in plain sight. Uh, you know, the idea that, uh, I could go to university and instead of taking out a loan, I could go for free, but then pay a percentage of my income if and only if I make over a certain amount of money uh, and be better aligned with the institution. That's sort of the, the Lambda School example, which is most popular today, but I would go even further to saying, yeah, I could have a personal uh, board of advisors and give them equity, or I could say, hey, Tony, me, you, and Suna and Jill should pool our equity together. I, I think there are you know, infinite use cases for, for income share agreements. Yeah. I think they're going to be huge. They're very controversial today for, for valid reasons, but I'm, I'm making a bet there. I'm, I'm looking to invest in companies there. I'm looking to incubate companies there. And I'm, I'm asking myself, is this the thing that I quadruple down in instead of, instead mm. of double and triple? Interesting. Down? Yeah, I, I naturally hate them, but I, I can see why that, that makes it a really attractive area to go after. Yes. Interesting. Who's, um, who's helped you the most over the last, well, in your career? Going back to the people that, that put me put you in business. There are so many people who've who've helped me in my career, but I would say ninety nine percent of them are are in a post product hunt uh, 
world hmm. um, where, where it was more obvious. It was, it was more uh, clearly in their self-interest, which it, there's no, there's nothing wrong against that. It's just, it's always more special when someone does it uh, before you make it. They, re- they really believed in you for you. Now, of course, it's also in their self-interest because you understand sort of how valuable, how disproportionate it, the value is when you, you know, when you help someone before they, before they deserve it, so to speak, you, you, you do more of it. You, you'd have a portfolio approach of like, Hey, I'm going to bet on, you know, 20 people that have no business. And if one of them takes off, they're going to remember me for the rest of their lives. And that one of those people for me is, uh, is Dean Brody in Detroit, uh, who helped me. It was one of my main advisors with Rapt FM, which was a company that had a very little idea what it was doing, but gave me a lot of time, a lot of mentorship, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, has, has become my coach to this day. And he's now part of Rise and, and we work together on lots of different uh, projects because he was, he was there from day one. I'm, you know, remember him forever. That's so cool that you're, you still have a active working relationship. Yeah. What's a, uh, go ahead. Go, no, no, go for what's it. a, what's something that people can try um, today or this week that you think more people should try doing? For example, Jill's was uh, go for a walk. This was was one of your questions, right? Oh no, no, it wasn't. I just threw it out. It's a new question. <laughs> we can skip it if you don't have something. No, it's good. What's your answer? What's my answer? Create something. Yeah. It could be anything. Yeah. I think there's like a blockage yeah. a lot of people have. If you're not already creating stuff, it's very it's very hard to get started. Yeah, I think I would I would encourage people to spend time thinking about and asking other people for feedback about uh, basically on this question. What if uh, if I spent, what's the thing that if I spent uh, a lot of time doing, uh, could have a hundred X output? Like what, what's the asymmetric risk that I could take unique to my own skill sets, uh, and interests, uh, that, that could have incredibly high, uh, potential if, if I did it well and, and what needs to be true for me to, to do it well, what, what's blocking hmm. uh, me from doing that? Have you, have you like, um, I, I love that. Have you taking the time to write out like a step-by-step for doing that. Cause it's kind of coming together in my head just from our conversation. It's like, you know, list the thing that you are naturally good at. If you don't know it, like send out the survey, um, et cetera, you know, like what you're good at, what what comes naturally to you, what you enjoy doing, what other people struggle to do, what what has a market, like, et cetera. And you can kind of answer that question in a a systematic way. Um, Is that, is that something you've thought about? Yeah. I have not, but if you run with it, I would be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or if someone listened, to, yeah, I think that, that would be helpful for folks. Cool. Um, yeah. Any, anything else you want to talk about today? The other thing I, I would say is for for people who are listening to this podcast and and think of themselves as thinkers uh, or writers or or idea generators, uh, I think Twitter is a really powerful powerful mechanism. Yeah. Uh, it's basically. You, you want to put yourself in positive feedback loops. And basically what I mean by that is put yourselves in, situ, uh, in situations that are more likely to, uh, to spur the outcome that you want. And so if, you're, if you say, hey, I want to have more ideas, if you tweet more, uh, you will get positive feedback. You will get likes. And that will encourage you to have even more ideas uh, and, and put out more ideas. And so uh, if, you, if you said that, no, in fact, I'm focused on running this food delivery, I'm focused on execution. I'm actually trying to, you know, shut out some of these ideas that maybe avoid Twitter. But to the extent that you are looking to write and, and build out ideas, uh, use Twitter as a sort of playground for 
putting out ideas, getting feedback on them, using some ideas as building blocks for other ideas, interfacing with, with other people. And I think people are worried that they might look dumb or, or trivial uh, or silly, but, uh, but no one cares. Uh, or, 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 if, or if they do, they're not the right people and, and you'll, you'll meet you know, the new right people. For and you. if you need an example of doing this very well, just go look at Eric's profile. I mean, I, I, love, I love your pinned f- post those are just fractals of Twitter threads that are amazing to dig through. Thank you. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's been a lot, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and, um, I, yeah, I think you're, uh, an inspiration too, as someone who wrote on the side, uh, and just kept doing it and has really established, uh, established yourself. And it, it's not something you had to, you know, quit your job to, to do. You could, uh, you, you can, you know, you can start side projects and, and focus on them and, and gain traction with them and then leave when, when the time is right. Yeah, it's extremely high leverage. I, I recommend anybody who has any interest in doing something like that to do it. I mean, I, I love the the language that you've developed around it, Eric. Like, legibility is so crucial. Um, if, you, if you can't prove it, then you're not going to get positive externalities from it. Um, awesome. W- where can people find out more about you and, and the work that you do? The uh, people can find me on Twitter uh, at Eric Tornberg, and uh, I've opened DMs and feel free to to message me. Uh, and and the, the last thing to also answer your question would be uh, for people to uh, to not get stressed or, or take this too seriously. There are you know infinite ways to have a very fulfilling uh, career, and ultimately, uh, no matter how uh, successful you are, you're you're going to be about as happy as you are right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, the things that that make us most happy, I think, are our relationships with our with our best friends and, and family and community. Uh, you know, most intimate communities. Um, and so, while this can be very fulfilling and fruitful, uh, not to uh, over over stress about it. Yeah, call call your parents. Yeah, I should do that right after this. Yeah, I will too. I think they might be on a flight. Um, all right, Eric, this was a, a real pleasure. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Tony. O- always a pleasure. Click here to apply is made possible by members of TonyShang.com. To become a member of TonyShang.com, go to TonyShang.com and click the membership button. If you enjoy this episode and want to support the show, leave a review. It helps other people find the show. And you might find your review featured in a future episode of Click here to Apply. Got a question or comment? Reach out to me on Twitter. My DMs are always open. Thanks for listening and see you next time.